0: The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their Healthy Kitchen Oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Allie McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? Real? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 189 of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by our very good friend, Dr. Phil Maffetone. He needs no introduction, but I wanted to share with you Phil's credo that everyone is an athlete. As a health and fitness trendsetter, he has perhaps had more positive impact on a wider variety of people than anyone in modern history. From professional and Olympic athletes in virtually every sport to average people from all walks of life, His system for achieving optimum human performance by tapping into the body's fat-burning system has helped millions of people achieve their goals in sport, business, and life. In today's episode, Phil and I debunk the myths, math doesn't work for me, and eating low-carb makes me lose my top end. This is an incredible episode where you will learn how to transform your aerobic energy system burn fat and eat to support your health performance and athletic longevity hello phil and welcome back to the show hi Steph. great to be with you again yes thank you for joining us i'm very excited about today's topic i really wanted to get you back on the show to do a debunking myths with math episode because as i'm sure you've seen you know over the decades that you've been in the industry, there are these common myths that circulate and recirculate and and people definitely grab onto them and sort of run with them. Um, You know, you and I have very similar philosophies about training and nutrition and our thoughts on, you know, even the health and wellness industry. So I thought it'd be really great to explore some of these common myths. And the first one is definitely something that we've discussed over the years together on the show, and that is the statement that MAF doesn't work for me. So I get that a lot. I'm sure you've heard it as well. But just before we sort of break down the myth, could you set the scene for us about what MAF is, just for those listeners that might not yet be across your 180 formula?
1: Sure. Uh, MAF stands for Maximum Aerobic Function. And developing the aerobic system, which is that, that aerobic system that um, gives us our endurance. It's a, a, a system that's composed of the red, slow-twitch aerobic muscle fibers. Um, they're involved with a lot of circulation. One of the reasons they're red, they're involved with um, immune function and uh, antioxidant activity uh, the red aerobic muscles support our joints, um, uh, and and when we when we run a marathon or do a triathlon, um, especially the longer events, we use our aerobic system primarily. Um, uh, we use, uh, you know, in a, in a marathon, we may. Use um, 95% of our aerobic system to get through the race. Uh, The winner of a marathon um, will use that much aerobic function. So the aerobic system is is very very important, obviously, for endurance. And we're we're talking about anything from 5K and up. Really, you know, when you get to a mile or two miles, there's a significant amount of of Aerobic function that athletes need to perform their best, so um very very important and yeah i've heard I've heard that from way back in the days when I was in practice and i I kind of miss some of that. I kind of miss an athlete coming and saying hey i'm 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 doing what you said, I've been doing what you've said for three months, and it's not working, I guess." I guess MAF doesn't work for me. Well, no, my, my first response is no, that's not true. The problem is something is interfering with training. There's something that's blocking uh, the the training benefits that you're, you're trying to get. And um, the alternative is to, you know, train, train hard and, run the risk of getting hurt, which is typically what happens. Um, and so one of the exciting things in in practice for me was always playing detective. Let's Let's figure out why, even though you're training right, you say you're doing these things, okay? Let's assume, yes, you're doing these things. Let's play detective and try and figure out why the body is not responding to this training because you should respond to this training. This is, this is scientific. This is, this is being human. Humans respond to physical activity. And if you don't respond to physical activity, then there's a problem. Something is interfering. Maybe there's a, um, an an iron deficiency. Maybe there's a vitamin D deficiency. Uh, maybe the, the heart rate that we've assigned is too high you know maybe there's a number of things uh going on that are really relatively minor but but you put two three four things together and the body um just doesn't respond and uh fortunately in most cases when we went through that process we would figure it out and suddenly things would start working sometimes um it wouldn't you know when you're dealing with humans um Uh, sometimes the, the, the patients of the patients, uh, just things just don't sink and, um, I don't see them anymore, but usually things work out and, um, it's, it's kind of fun to uncover these interesting case histories that we find, um, um, in people in most cases, People following the MAF program, where you come, uh, you come up with uh, your your uh, MAF heart rate using the 180 formula, um, and you go out and train. What should happen is, as the days go by, you should get faster at that same MAF heart rate. That's a sub max heart rate, and that's also called the aerobic threshold. So we're not talking about some way out concepts here that have no basis these are these are scientific things <clears throat> so it's it's um it's fun to see it uh, when it happens real easily um it's it's particularly fun to see people complain that they have to run too slow and of course the first thing they say when they realize how slow they're going is how is this going to help me um and and then it's fun to see them in a real short period of time complain that they're now going too fast. (laughs) So it's a, it's, it's an interesting thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I thought we'd, there's a lot I want to break down there, but um, just for the benefit again, of those newer listeners, I just wanted to really talk about the 180 formula before we get too far ahead, because, you know, as you've mentioned, this is, a formula that has been designed on science on, you know, decades of your testing and and working with athletes. Um, But can you explain to us a little bit more about what the 180 formula is and then we can go through some of the modifications to talk about, you know, how to personalise it, that next step. Sure.
1: Um, The 180 formula is not a one-size fits all formula. The 180 formula is a way for individuals who don't want to go to a exercise physiology lab and um, have a treadmill test done uh, where you can determine aerobic threshold. It's, It's expensive. It's time consuming. More importantly, it's not something you do once. It's something that you do with some regularity because you want to know if you're improving. Doing the test once doesn't; it just gives you the starting point. The 180 formula um, is for people who want to determine that on their own, based on the experiences that I've had in determining that aerobic threshold, that MAF level um, in athletes uh, one-on-one, where I spent a lot of time. I would evaluate the the athlete. I would go to the track with the athlete. I would monitor the the gait, the posture. I would monitor, monitor heart rate, breathing. And after an hour or so of doing that, and after an hour or two of evaluating them in my clinic, I would come up with a heart rate. And I'd say, okay, here's the heart rate that I think you should train at. And again, this is the MAF heart rate. It's also called the aerobic threshold. People know the anaerobic threshold, but for some reason, these easy-related um, thresholds, uh, people people don't want to talk about. But that that's a very important threshold. Um, and I, I I certainly did plenty of uh, evaluations with athletes in the labs to see, you know, while they're running on the treadmill, breathing through these tubes. Um, determining oxygen and carbon dioxide and coming up with the respiratory exchange ratio, and, and what is the corresponding heart rate, So we could do it that way, but you know, I, uh, you may have heard me tell this story, but I was lecturing about this one day to a group of, of athletes, and they seemed to find it quite interesting, but somebody asked me something that was a little embarrassing he said, how can we determine that? Mm. And I i didn't have an answer. I wasn't promoting my clinic. I was already six months behind with, with new patients. So it, it wasn't that. I just was embarrassed that I didn't have a simple answer. How, how could anybody come up with this heart rate without going into a lab or without coming to see me or, or someone else? And so I went back and started playing around with the numbers and it's really just a, you know, it was a mathematical problem. Um, we knew, I knew what, what the, the, um, I I knew a lot of parameters. I knew the patient's age. I knew their level of health, their level of fitness, um, and, and other things. And eventually I I came up with this formula where you subtract your age from one eighty and you then make adjustments based on your level of health and based on your level of fitness and it it puts you in the ballpark as i say it's a it's a very accurate number and i I hear from uh people who who do uh who use the metabolic cart, the, the treadmill test, uh, for living every day. They, they test people and they say, yeah, we're, you know, we consistently see, uh, that the test results we get correspond to the 180 formula. Um, and it may be one or two beats off, three beats off, but it's, you know, even the, even the equipment, even the metabolic cart that measures oxygen and carbon dioxide, they're not, perfect the numbers that that you come up with so if you're one or two beats or three beats off you're in pretty good shape because you're going to know soon enough even though you you may be certain that yeah this is this is the perfect heart rate for me you'll know soon enough whether it is or it is not because if you're responding to that in training if if your body's doing what it should do then you know it was the right one. And what your body should do is get faster at the same sub max heart rate. And it's really, it's really that simple. You know, humans, humans are incredible animals. We, You know, our fitness is so phenomenal that um, if we just train a little bit, we get better. So. Um, But you know we're in a we're in a society now, um, and athletics is part of that bigger society, um, where no pain, no gain, is the big thing. Even if we won't admit it, even if we don't accept it, even if we didn't realize that that's the case, no pain, no gain. If you look at any, um, you know, if you look at corporate uh activity you know corporate workers go to wall street down in new york city it's it's no pain no gain if you look at any profession if you look at um you know the 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 goals that people have there's this no pain no gain thing that that we've all grown up with and it's a it's a really terrible thing it, it began you know 200 years ago with Benjamin Franklin, who talked about no pain, no gain in relation to capitalism and i have a I have an article on this topic on my website, which I wrote with um Rick Scarce, who's a sociologist at uh State University in new York and uh, we wrote this We wrote this great article about no pain, no gain, and how it um, it permeates through all of society, not just sports um so, the, the, the MAF heart rate that you determine from the 180 formula is really simple. And, um, and I think the, the word, the key word may be patience because, um, it won't take long for you to find out that A, things are working or B, things are not working. There's usually no in between.
0: Yes, I completely agree. And I think that no pain, no gain mentality is important to explore a bit further because that is the barrier to a lot of people using the the myth, the statement that MAF doesn't work for me. And a lot of the time I see it in athletes who are in a squad, whether it be a triathlon squad or they're running with a group of people. The problem is, is they're trying to keep up with everybody or the faster athletes and you know what's quite interesting is you know a specific session has been programmed and as you and I discuss all the time we're wanting these endurance athletes to be doing the bulk of their training in that aerobic zone and so if that's the intention of the session but everyone's got a very different heart rate well then only a few people are actually performing that session as it should be intended. And and, and those exactly. at the back, yeah, those at the back are essentially doing an anaerobic session and then wondering why they're either exhausted or getting injured or not getting results.
1: Yeah, it, the, the word is individualization. We've got to personalize our own training. And I've actually measured those groups. You know, the Sunday morning meetup for a long run or a long bike the thursday evening uh you know get together after work uh going for a run in the park i i've i've gone for some of those workouts and as as more and more people got heart monitors where it was easy to measure uh eight or nine or 10 people in a group doing one workout what i and i did it numerous times what i found was it's about a third a third and a third a third of the people in the front are kind of slowing down they're kind of the 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 nice folks you know they don't want to leave people behind so they slow down and they're not getting as much of a workout as they should or could and the people in the middle uh, they're they're about where they need to be they 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 should be right there and they and they get they get their work out. and then like you say, the people in the back, they're they're overtraining. They're burning out in the course of one run. Um and it, it's just it's just unfortunate. The whole idea of individualization, the whole idea that we could personalize our health, personalize our fitness. I mean you do that with, with clients. I did that with with people I worked with. Um it's not difficult at all. It's actually quite easy. What's difficult is to convince them that this is where you need to be because you're you. This is you. Your health is here. Your fitness is there. And as a result, here's where you need to train. If you end up running really slow or at a faster pace, that's irrelevant. We've found the starting point for you. And it's most likely, it's the ideal place to, to start your training.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we just use the, the basic 180 formula and let's just use round numbers and say we're talking to a 40-year- old athlete, obviously that gives someone a, a MAF heart rate of 140. And if someone's you know always training at say 150 or 155, clearly they're going to have to slow down. And then there's the whole right. psychological element of of doing that, and maybe having to train on their own for a while. And I'm assuming that's the recommendation that you would give to athletes in that circumstance.
1: Sure, sure. And sometimes I joke, and and a lot of people don't don't get my dry humor <laughs> sometimes. But sometimes I joke, and I say, well, and I keep saying, but, 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 but Big Joe he runs fast all the time, and I need to train with his group, or well, you can't. But what about, you know, so and so? I you know, <clears throat> you 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 can't do that. Um and what what this runner is saying is I don't want people to see me running slow. And so I interject and say, Hey, look, run at night when nobody could see you. And they usually don't get it and I have to tell them it's a joke, and then they still don't want to laugh because they think it's an insult or something. But that, you know. That's the problem. People are, are aware um, that, that others are watching them. If you, if you look, I mean, you know, we can go into Einstein and the, the whole idea of observing um, uh, a reaction, like observing a person. If you observe somebody, they, they act differently. If you observe a run if you're running on the road if you're running on a busy road um you should go home first of all you shouldn't be running on a busy road um but if you are you're well aware that every car that passes is looking at you how is that going to make you feel how much higher does your heart rate get because of that and again i've i've measured this stuff i i know it gets um uh, significantly higher, which can can sometimes be just two, three, four beats, which can be significant for some people. You know, it's a stress reaction, and if you look at the faces of these people, <laughs> they're certainly stressed, most of them. So, um, the 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 reality is that we need to we need to train our own bodies <clears throat> the way our body wants to train. We're long past the world where we could just go out and train intuitively and we'll train perfect. I, I've not seen, uh, I've not seen many people who could do that or who who could do that. Well, I worked with Greta White many, many years ago, of course, and, um, she was one that, that could do it. I put a heart monitor on her, uh, and, and she just she couldn't figure out what this thing does and why is it beeping. It was it was an interesting <laughs> experience. But I said just run your normal pace, and we're running around the track. And and she got to the point where the monitor did what I told her it would do, and okay, stay at this pace. She said, "Oh well, this is this is my usual training pace." Mm. She was right on. Um, um, most people today have have grown up. As young people um, with uh the t v announcers saying, "Big Joe plays hurt he's tough well i wanna i wanna be tough i'll I'll run if i'm hurt i'll run i'll you know i'll uh you know i'll um I'll run hard so i hurt it, it just you know it's a bad social scene, and we need to get out of that mode if we wanna be." both healthy and fit. You know, if you could run a, a good 10K, who cares if you dropped out of a heart attack at the end of it? Um, it, it it's, it's not a good
0: thing. Mm-hmm. Trust me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wanted to circle back to the comment you made about the, the type of run or the location of the run, because you mentioned stress. And, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking about some of those blocks or barriers to getting the results that we should expect from
1: mm-hmm.
0: MAF. Um, and I've, I've seen that that stress is a huge one. For some reason, when someone's got to do an MAF test or a session where they know it's this heart rate that perhaps is going to slow them down or have them walking, they, they honestly find it quite overwhelming. And the unfortunate ir- irony there is that they're starting this session with, already an elevated heart rate and the whole process just becomes really quite impossible for them because of that underlying stress is that something that you've noticed
1: oh for sure i spent i spent more time talking to athletes about managing their stress how can they manage their own stress than i spent uh talking to them about training and and racing um Mm. if you can't manage your stress in a training run if you can't uh, figure out how to do your own run when you're with a group of people, uh, and manage that stress. How are you going to manage stress in a race? How are you going to manage stress over the course of a of a, a, a training uh, period or uh, 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 over the course of a, a racing season? Um, and so that's a that's a big factor. But <clears throat> you know when we when we talk about stress, we're not just talking about Uh, looking around and saying, gee, I wonder what all these people are thinking about me running slow. We're talking about physical stresses, biochemical stresses, mental, emotional stresses. So we're talking about the stress of wearing bad shoes. We're talking about the stress of um, having a dental problem. We're not taking care of the stress of sitting too much during the day. And the biochemical stresses, which is of course, food um, is a huge stress. Too much caffeine, too much alcohol. These stresses impair our training. Uh, and the mental, emotional stresses uh, people relate to, um, or at least they think they can relate to much better. They may not control them any better, but they you know what they are. Pain is a, an emotional stress. So if we have pain, um, which is a big red flag no matter what, uh, except in a race. Uh, if we have pain from working out, if we wake up in the morning and we have pain, <clears throat> that's a that's a big stress. Um, and it's a big red flag. It means we should probably not work out that day until we figure out why this pain is there.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a lot that needs to be factored in to build a, you know, obviously the health comes first, like you say, and, and then to be able to develop what is a healthy athlete. Now, the final little subtopic I wanted to touch on underneath this myth is about the quote unquote, just a few beats over. So, you know, someone might work out their 180 formula. So if we use the example before, it's you know, for a 40 year old, it might be 40, um, sorry, 140 beats per minute. And, you know, they might notice that their heart rate's like 143 or 144 and, and think that close enough is good enough. But tell me your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. If close enough is good enough in in that situation, it means you're going to cheat at other times. You know you're going up a hill oh, I'm going up a hill, so five beats, six beats you know I'm going up a hill, so it's supposed to go up I, i'm i'm I was astounded um years ago when I came to the realization that that it only took in in some people it only took two or three beats over their m a f number to. To create so much stress that um, that there would there would be no return on training, there would be no benefits obtained from training. And um, like I said earlier, the you know the the numbers aren't exact, but we come up with a an MAF heart rate of one forty, whatever it is, um, which means that's the heart rate you do not want to exceed and you know I, I i sometimes would spend a lot of time with people saying that's you know that's your your speed limit you can't go beyond that heart rate whatever whatever you have to do if you have to walk the hills then that's what you do um and like i said the 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 idea of well i'm only one or two beats or three beats over usually means that people are willing to just keep going i on four beats and now i'm five beats Um, so I, I, I I insist that they be, be very strict. There are people who are very sensitive and the reason they're very sensitive to, to going one or two beats over is because they're already very stressed. They already have a lot of physical, biochemical and or mental, emotional stress, that accumulation of, of stress. And you add two, two beats over your maf heart rate now you're adding more stress you can't handle any more stress so here's something you can control completely you may not be able to control the stress at work with your boss you may not be able to control the weather stress you may not be able to control um some dental work you're having which is going to take you know a few months uh or whatever stresses are there uh, some of them we can control really well and running at the correct heart rate is, is one of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome summary. So I definitely encourage um, all of the athletes listening to dive into the 180 formula and make sure you read in detail the the adjustments that you might need to make based on your training history and medications and injuries. So I'll definitely put that link in the show notes but let's move on to our next myth this is one that I hear like all the time Um, and this is that eating low carb will make me get slow or lose my top end so what do you think about this one Phil
1: I've been hearing that since I started Uh, (laughs) you know I went into practice in 1977 Um, man that makes me sound old <laughs> um experience phys, phys, um, physiologically a lot younger but um i was doing i was doing this uh back then and it was really hard because um carbs were <clears throat> it, it, you know it was the the thing that runners did it was uh you know it was it, nobody questioned it and all of a sudden somebody comes to me because they want to um they want to be trained because I helped their friend and uh you know they want me to help them and and I say we we've got to cut your carbohydrates down by by half or whatever um and they're shocked and um it it hasn't been until really The last five or six years, um, when you're seeing a lot of scientists come out of the closets and and, uh, big name researchers and, you know, uh, athletes and um, the bottom line is um, we all have a certain way of eating that's best for us. And eating junk food is not good for anybody. There's no scientist in the world except the ones that work for the junk food companies. There's no real scientist in the world who will say junk food is okay to eat. Um, so let's eliminate the junk food. If we eliminate the junk food, um, then we have to put something back. And that something is natural food. So uh, vegetables, fruits. Uh, meats, cheese, eggs, uh, fish, um, nuts, seeds, beans. Um, and and when you, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, what would, what would I be eating if I was living in the woods? If I was, um, you know, one of my ancestors, um, a hundred thousand years ago, you'd be eating, uh, A fair amount of meat a lot of fat and a very small amount of carbohydrate so why wouldn't you do something like that now and there's there are ways that we can help you figure out what's best you know how much natural carbohydrate can you tolerate how much protein do you need Um, it's called the two-week test and if you begin with figuring out how much carbohydrate you can tolerate that's that's um that's a pretty good start um um, carbohydrates change our metabolism immediately when we consume them so it affects our training it affects our heart rate it affects our ability to burn fat and sugar in proportions that we want to we want to do we want to burn more fat and less sugar so that we can conserve our glycogen stores so that when we're in a race and we've got a mile to go, we've got all our glycogen stores or most of our glycogen stores and, um, and we can have a, a pretty nice kick to the finish line. So, um, you know, it's, man, it's a long conversation for, for people who, yeah. who um, ask that question. It's not true, and, and I, I published a paper with um, Paul Larson um, a couple of years ago about a triathlete who uh, reduced her carbohydrate intake uh, dramatically. I think she went, um, I'm, I'm not sure the exact numbers. I think she went from about 80% carbohydrate in her diet down to um, about uh, 10% or something and you're just a, a night and day you just flipped around what the traditional recommendations are for for sports and she got better um and i've seen that since the 70s There's yeah. nothing new you know um uh what people are really saying like like we talked about you know the heart rate and oh i can do this I can keep up with these guys. It, it's sad that people, well, the, the problem is people are addicted to sugar. And so now you have the addiction talking for you rather than you talking. Are you addicted to sugar? Can you get through the day without sugar? Um, what happens if I say, hey, don't eat sugar for three days? Do you start getting nervous? Do you start shaking? Mm-hmm. you start sweating i mean i'm exaggerating a little bit but i've seen people sweat absolutely you know you you say to a heroin addict you can't have heroin for 3 days and you know this addict um goes crazy um you, you can't do that and it's the same with sugar you know mm-hmm. we get we get addicted to sugar and the idea of not having our our daily fix is a stress, talk about stress, man, is that a stress. So when people get off the junk food and get off the sugar, they have a day or two or three days where it's, it's a little tough. But deep down inside they know, and if you if you explain the benefits, it may or may not help, there's this emotional attachment. and But deep down inside, most people know that they're addicted and they shouldn't be eating carbohydrates and it it's a problem and they wish they could do something about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we're not pulling out carbohydrates and and leaving nothing in there. And in the research paper that you mentioned, um, I might just read a a sentence or two um, what you did with this particular athlete dietary recommendations included reducing carbohydrate and increasing dietary fat intake. Over a six-week period, daily carbohydrate content was gradually decreased from 73% to 12% of total calories, while fat content increased from 14% to 75% and protein levels remain constant. So I find that quite fascinating because people always, as soon as you talk about low carb, they see this empty plate. They're like, all right, well, if not carbs, then what? Because we're so used to being afraid of fat um, and definitely in the athlete space, you know, pretty much the only macronutrient that anyone's been eating is a carbohydrate. So a lot of people cannot wrap their head around, you know, what they're possibly going to fuel their body on. So it's important to break down the the shift that it's low carb, high fat for a very good reason.
1: Yeah, we can get a lot more energy from fat than we Mm -hmm. can from carbohydrate and uh, you know endurance athletes many I, I won't give a percentage you know it's something like w- when i was in practice I, I would keep i would do a diet analysis on the on, on the athlete initially and then after we've gone through um giving dietary recommendations and um getting the training going and doing what whatever we have to do um a couple of months later, I might do another diet, dietary analysis just to compare. And and you know, I had charts and graphs, and you know, w- was able to show them what what they're eating. This is what this is what you're eating, and these are the symptoms you have. And then three months later, okay, now you're eating these things, and all these symptoms are gone, and you're running faster at the same heart rate. Um, and and then they, you know, start putting the proverbial t- two and two together. Um uh and and but you're right the the idea of carbohydrates um, being cut down means well okay well what a way and that's what they they would say to me. I would say uh first of all we we need to reduce we need to eliminate all junk food and and they don't know what that is even today. But back then they didn't know what that was, and I'd say, well, cookies, candies, um, cereals, pasta, uh, all all things that have sugar in them, uh, the the yogurts with the fruit, and uh, you know. And at some point they stop me and say, well, what do I eat? And you know, we 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 humans know what to eat, but somehow we're caught up in this addiction, and We've gone way over to one side where we focus on carbohydrates and we forget to eat vegetables, fruits, and all the other dense foods that we need to be healthy, protein being one of them. And I would say probably half the athletes I saw during the, the 20 years I had my clinic initially were, were not getting enough protein. Some of them were severely deficient um that's pretty that's pretty dramatic um but the fat yeah if you if you cut the carbohydrate down, you know it's like a seesaw protein's in the middle if if the person's eating enough protein mm-hmm. uh then as carbohydrate goes down, fat goes up. we have to maintain a certain caloric intake, otherwise we get into trouble um so it's really it's really pretty simple the difficulty is the addiction.
0: Yeah. Can I ask what your thoughts are on, say, an athlete who has initially gotten slower when they've changed their diet to a low-carb, high-fat approach, like what the mechanism might be?
1: Uh, Usually the mechanism is that they have not adapted Mm -hmm. to their, their, their metabolism, has not adapted to burning more fat. 100%. So they're they're burning they're burning less sugar because they're eating less sugar but they're not burning enough fat yet to make up the difference and that that transition can last days or even weeks and occasionally months um and usually you feel it you feel it because you're more energy when you start feeling more energy when you start feeling much less or no hunger at all um, that's a pretty good s- indication that that you're adapting well mm-hmm. how long it takes to completely adapt is, is it's it's difficult to say um but it it does happen, and when you when you adapt well, you train better i i i you know my my favorite case history is is of a a, a, a woman who um, did the two-week test, reduced carbohydrates by a lot, increased fat, um, and at the end of two weeks did her NIF test again, and she was running a minute per mile faster after only two weeks. That's pretty good adaptation. Um, the study that we published, um, the first race. Um, I don't know, you know more about it than I do. Cause you have the <laughs> the study in front of us. It, it was, it was a couple of months. Um,
0: Your athlete uh, you were talking about before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a couple of months, but I could tell you that, that the, the training improved, um, relatively uh, faster than that. Mm-hmm. It didn't take that long for the training to improve. So, um, um people who who get off the refined carbohydrates and find the level of natural carbohydrates that's appropriate for their needs um generally feel pretty good. By the time they've figured all that out, they're they're generally feeling pretty good. And the biggest problem that I see at that point is they're they're still not eating eating enough calories.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with that for sure. I had a very similar conversation with um, a client of mine yesterday, which is another reason why I'm, I'm pretty forceful with the food logging side of things initially, definitely not long term unless the athlete wants to. But initially, you know, what I find really interesting is a lot of people respond that well to low carb that they, their satiety is almost too good. Um, but the flip side of that is they're then eating, you know, nine hundred calories a day and, and wondering why their performance is not um, you know, exponentially increasing like they would expect. So I think it is really important that we're aware of our of our total volume. Um yeah. and the seesaw that you mentioned, you can't do low carb low fat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that doesn't work. Um, you know, again, like going out to train intuitively uh and and being perfect in our training it, it's i don't know many people that can do that um i don't know anybody today that can do that likewise with food um humans knew what to eat for millions of years all animals on earth who are not in captivity know what to eat except for humans We're we're in captivity by carbohydrates um, so we have to think about it. We have to, we have to get back our instincts and intuition. And that's one of the things the two week test does, but getting off that vicious cycle of, of carbohydrate addiction is because it affects the nervous system in such a, a, a terrible way that we, we no longer can be intuitive. We no longer have intuitions. Um, so uh we have to go through that transition and it's tricky in the beginning uh but but like i say once you start feeling the energy and losing the hunger and for many people losing the excess body fat um then you know things are are really working well and and the excess body fat today And we didn't see this in the seventies. Uh, we didn't see this until the, by the mid eighties, I was using the word over fat, I think in 82, um, because I was starting to see athletes who had too much body fat and yet they were, they were not overweight by the charts and they, their BMIs were okay. Um, yet they had too much body fat. So, uh, Today, of course, you just go to a race and you'll see high numbers of racers who, in many cases, are running hours and hours a week and their body fat content is way too high.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? So fascinating. One other thing I wanted to add about... um you know, this particular myth that we're discussing is that, you know, when people um, are more inclined to say things like eating low carb will make me lose my top end, ironically, they're the ones that are training at a high intensity all the time um, and still not yet able to burn fat while at the same time having significantly reduced their predominant fuel so their body's essentially got no petrol and they certainly haven't got access to the diesel tank yet. So, you know, it's common sense that they wouldn't be performing very well at that point in time, but people are so caught up on the numbers, right?
1: Yeah. And, and the numbers are deceptive because people use the, the, the terms low fat, uh, low carb, high carb, high fat, high protein. and, and, there's no foundation for any of those terms. Uh, what, you know, what are the, most people don't know what that means, and there are some some general guidelines in the scientific literature, but people can't relate to those numbers, and they don't know them either. So, um, you know, low carb has become a, a faddish thing in the last few years, and and it's it's good and bad. It's it's good in that uh, people are now. More aware that carbohydrates can be harmful, I'm not sure they're quite there with the junk food part, but they're they're more aware of it um, and you know if I say, "Hey, uh, a diet that's thirty percent fat is is not considered high fat, and people say, "Of course that's high fat." well, it's not. So you know m- my recommendation is to forget the numbers. You want to read about them fine, um, read about them for reference, but, but find out how much carbohydrate, how much fat, how much protein you should be eating based on your needs. And that's not a, a lengthy process. It means um, making some modifications and maybe being a little bit uncomfortable when you're getting off sugar um but in the end you're gonna be much healthier you're gonna be much more fit you're gonna train better you're gonna race better
0: absolutely so much to explore but you know I really encourage those that haven't yet done a two-week test to dive in and learn more about your current level of carbohydrate intolerance and you know you can go a long way to reversing that so I'll link um, more information about the 2 week test in the show notes um feel I have so many other myths I want to explore with you that we are going to have to do a part 2 <laughs> um so we'll leave our myths well, five myths they're they are really We are, right. aren't they? They are everywhere. So we'll definitely um we definitely will do a part 2 so if anyone's got any particular myths that they'd like us to debunk um, please reach out and, and let me know so um, Phil and I can prioritize that next time. Um, but before I let you go, Phil, I just wanted to get you, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about um, your recent project that you released um, this week, I believe, on com, and that is the HealthFit University. So tell us more about what you've been up to there.
1: Yes, uh, HealthFit University is a separate entity uh, apart from m a f but i'm part of healthford university along with mark Kukasella, uh, tony prezak gibson is, is part of the the project um uh and 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 uh jeff vernon and and robin what what we you know we've been working together uh i've been working with mark uh lecturing and you know one day we said hey why don't we just um Create an entity so that we can, you know, put all our educational materials through this entity. And we came up with HealthFit University. And basically, we have a website, HealthFitU, and um, we teach courses that are uh, certified by the University of West Virginia. So if you are um, a health practitioner, if you're a doctor of any sort or, or other health practitioner, you will probably get license renewal credits in, in the U.S. and maybe in some other countries. If you're a coach, um, <clears throat> you may get uh, uh, some credit toward your coaching certification. If you're interested in getting an MAF coaching certification, those hours will go toward that as well. Uh, we'll, we'll be announcing that um shortly down the road and um if you go to the website uh we have a, a three part uh, lecture video that was shot robin shot in um in uh in West Virginia just outside of washington d c at our last conference um and that's free to any member it's free to become a member, and nobody spams you. Um, but those, you know, those videos are available and there's a bunch of articles on the, on the site as well, but, uh, we're, we're pretty excited to to do this and, uh, uh, go have a look healthfityou.com
0: awesome such an exciting project and and definitely a great way to continue to you know share your knowledge and obviously have other practitioners on board that can that are you know working at that ground level with you know athletes and, and clients that really need to transform their health and look after their longevity so thank you so much for all that you do it's been awesome to chat with you again i'm honored to have you as a regular guest on the show and i already can't wait for part two thanks for joining us again phil
1: thank you steph